Welcome back, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and ghost historian Mike Ricksecker. With me now officially as my permanent co-host, Victoria Monday, joining us. And also down in the chat room, Quarantine Ghost Haunting the Chat. With us this evening is renowned psychist and intuitive counselor, Robert Lindsley Milne. We're absolutely ecstatic to have him with us this evening. Robert, thank you for joining us. You've been doing this a long time. I love your your origin story with uh, with the hockey game. Um, it's, it's fantastic. So I, I'd love for you to retell that story uh, to our viewers so they can get a little bit acquainted with you. Okay, well, by, by the way, I've been a professional psychic for more than 50 years. And in over my career, I've done more than 100,000 psychic connections. That's impressive. And, wow. <laughs> and and um, I started working at a tea room in Toronto when I was about 15 and a half. And uh, I spent five years working there, six days a week. It was, it was an amazing experience. You want to hear about my hockey experience? Yeah, well, I... <laughs> as, as a child, um, I always sensed things. And I used to get into trouble for saying things to adults. Uh, one time I came home from school, uh, maybe it's five or six years old, and I, and I said to my mother, Grandma Harris died today. Well, Grandma Harris was my great-grandmother that I'd only seen about once in my life. And I just knew she died. My mother got very upset, um, punished me for saying bad things. The next night at dinner, my mom, mother and father were talking and my mother said, oh, by the way, Grandma Harris died yesterday. And oh, I no. thought my mother, my dad was going to get mad at my mother for saying bad things, but, but they didn't. They just talked about it. And, and that, that really perplexed me. So I would say things, Uncle Harold, that wasn't Aunt Sally. Who was that person? You know, that got me into trouble. Right. So I never understood why the things I said got me into trouble. And one time it was um, my dad took me to an NHL hockey game, a Stanley Cup game. It was Boston and Toronto. And it was... Um, in the uh, early 1960s. I was about nine years old at the time. I was in the early, late 50s. And um, the score was tied at the end of three periods. They went into first overtime period. And when the teams came on the ice, I knew number 17, whose name was Gary Eamon, I knew he was going to score. And it was so real, it was if he had already scored. So the teams went and sat on the bench and they were about to start the game. Eamon wasn't on the ice and the building got quiet. There's about 18,000 people in the building at Maple Leaf Gardens that night. And the lights got turned down and the, light, and in the, rink, the, uh, the lights in the rink were bright. And just as the referee dropped the puck, I realized that Eamon was going to score and I jumped up and started screaming when the entire building was, was, was silent. And my dad put his hand on my shoulder and he said, sit down. <laughs> a couple of minutes later, Eamon jumped over the boards and he was skating towards the Boston goal. Red Kelly flipped the puck to him and he tipped it, tipped it in the net and, and scored the winning goal in overtime. And I stood back and looked around. The whole building erupted. And I heard the screams and cheers. And as I looked around, I didn't look at the, at the rink. 
I realized then other people thought differently than me. Yeah. And all of a sudden I realized why I was getting hit for saying things or getting into trouble. And I realized that night what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I knew what my job was going to be right then and there. I was about nine when that happened. Wow. Yeah, that that's amazing. Now, given yeah. that was in the 50s, you fast forward all these years later, have you found it more, because you've kind of described how it wasn't really accepted back then that, you know, you were saying these things, you're, you know, kind of being told, you know, not to talk about that. Have you found it that over the years, this, uh, this type of ability has become more accepted? It's unbelievable what it's like now. It's, it's, it's day and night. Um, when I, in Canada, it used to be illegal to be to to do psychic readings. It was against. Oh, that's the law. amazing! Wow. And by the way, it was only two years ago that the that the law was repealed. It really? was um, yes. It was called the Witchcraft Act, and it was Section three two six of the Canada Criminal Code, and it stated there were four subsections. It said. Um, Anyone who fraudulently, and, and it was assumed that doing this work, it was fraudulent. So anyone who fraudulently tells fortunes for consideration, um, uh, <laughs> accuses somebody of a crime using an occult or crafty science, using an occult or crafty science to heal or give um, healings to a person is guilty of a, of a summary conviction of not more than $5,000 and wow. one year in jail. Wow. And that law was brought into effect in the late 1800s. Okay, they're really deprecated laws. How was that <laughs> when you were, because you were working in that tea room as a young man, yes. how did they kind yes. of skirt around that? Well, um, there was a sign that said tea leaf readings for were for entertainment only and they would sell they they would sell um sandwiches a cup of tea and a couple of cookies and then you get your tea leaves right so right. i was 15 and a half when i first started doing that oh. and that was a full-time job for me actually i worked i worked there um six days a week interesting so very enterprising young man <laughs> Well, I was a street kid in those days. I was I was homeless and and I survived on the streets using my intuition. And it was like a training program for me. And or or I had the opportunity in just about every situation that I could solve a problem I was in using my intuition, my psychic ability or uh, the option would be doing something illegal or immoral there was no right or wrong it was what i decided to do and and most of the time i chose to use my intuition and my my um psychic ability to to survive and i heard that at the cozy tea room which was really prominent in in in, in toronto in those days and that was the only place where you could where, where you could do readings uh, well there were a couple other tea rooms in those days too and and i heard that if you worked at the cozy tea room in the in the afternoon shift you would get a sandwich and a cup of tea and cookies and get paid at the end of the shift and if you worked at night you got a hot dinner 
and um, a cup of tea and you got paid. So that day I went down and applied and I got hired and and I got a, I got my sandwich in the afternoon and I got a hot meal that night and I got paid and that was how I started becoming a professional psychic. When I was growing up, um, there always seemed to be like a negative connotation when someone was called a psychic or a medium. Um, they were like, like one eight hundred Stallone's mom or you know Miss Cleo or something. And when did all that change? I, I, sorry, to, to being called psychic or being good called psychic or bad being called psychic. From the negative connotation of being called psychic or a medium, when okay. did that change? When did that shift? Well, um, well, first of all, it was fortune teller mm -hmm. and, well, well, con artist, fortune teller. <laughs> Carney. Yeah. But, yeah, fortune teller, um, tea leaf reader. Um, and then and then as we started to do better in life, because, you know, I, I left the tea room at a, uh, after about five or six years and started out on my own. And I called myself a psychic which was different than fortune tellers. And it was different than doing tea leaf readings and, or, or card readings. And, and by the way, I could never do tea leaf readings. I used to just hold the cup, the teacup, look at the person and, and, and do the reading that way. I, I, I couldn't just little blobs of gunk in the bottom of the teacup. <laughs> I actually do tea leaf reading and it's, it's really oh. fun. You can make things up and they'll go, oh, yes, yes, I remember. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, we're going to run with this one then. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah. And so, so, um, then, then the the new word was psychic, mm -hmm. and and that felt pretty good for me. Over the years, um, I I think it got changed to intuitive or sensitive or, um, I, I'm okay with being called psychic. Um, Do you think Kreskin helped? You remember him? <laughs> Oh, very well. He, he, he's a little bit older than me. I, 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 oh, yes. He had a TV show in Toronto. I remember. We, we had it. I'm down here in Texas. We saw it, too, where he would do the, the spoon, you know? Yeah. And he'd, he'd, he'd read everyone's minds. and. Yeah, he is. He is, he is I, I believe he's still around. I believe he's I still so. alive and still performing. Oh, oh, the bucket list. Okay. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, he, he's he's still he's still he's uh, still performing and doing 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 shows or or um, uh, performances for sure. But do you think that kind of like put a little out, put it out in the mainstream just a little bit more? Um, so they're like psychics aren't evil people. They're not demons. They're they're not going to go to hell for whatever they're doing. Um, do you think he helped the community? He certainly brought it out into into um, more of a, of of mainstream, mm -hmm. and and as as I was developing, I started doing radio shows in the early 1970s, and and I was appearing on shows across Canada, um, and and my work brought it out also in, in into the main mainstream as well. Excellent. So, and that's and that's um, and that was through the 1970s and in in 80s and and it's it's a totally different world now. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't paid a lot of uh, until quite recently. I haven't really paid very much attention to uh, working online or working on on the internet because I've been around so long. I, I have a I have a. 
uh, a, a really good practice. And 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 for the last several years, I've just been uh, living on my my um, my reputation and 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 what I built. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I see all these psychic shows and all these people knowing about psychic things. It's incredible. It's just, it's just all of a sudden, life has become very exciting again. My career, <laughs> my work has become alive again. It's fabulous. That's very cool. Do you enjoy yeah. that more? Trying working uh, as a psychic through the internet rather than making the rounds and traveling and all of that. Um. Well, I, I, there, there were some years I would spend 40 weeks on the road. Wow, yeah. And, and now I came home every couple of weeks, but, but it was town to town, radio and TV stations. Each, each place had a station that I, that I appeared on. And then, and then I did a whole lot of readings in, in, in the city and then, and then went to the next one. And, and I, I did that for, for years. There, there was no internet. So, um, what was your question, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> what did you ask me Just again? The, if you're enjoying this more with the internet than having to travel all over the place. More importantly than the travel part, I love doing my job today more than I've ever loved it before. I'm better at what I do than I've ever been ever before. I just can't do it quite as fast and quite as much. But okay. other than that, I, I'm, it, it's really wonderful to do this work now. And it's so out in the open. Yeah. It's become a lot more acceptable. Mm-hmm. Now, do you find that you're still to this day honing your skills and become, becoming more fine-tuned? I, I practice every day. Okay. Um, when, when I was around 20, 21 years old, I was pretty sure that I would be doing this forever again. And, and, and I made a, a vow to myself that I would do at least one psychic reading every day of my life. And I did that for without missing a day of, of practice or, or doing a psychic reading. Uh, it was over 30 years that I, that I went without missing a day. Wow. And the reason I missed a day was because I wanted to find out what it was like not to do a psychic reading. <laughs> you just had to try what it out. Like? <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to know what the opposite was like. And there have been one or two times in my life where I wasn't able to be psychic. I, I wasn't psychic, and I thought, how do other people survive? How, how do you get around in the world? I was, I was really shocked to see what it was like not being psychic, because I've lived by it for so long. Um, so what do you mean by not being psychic? What, you just took a break or was there a point in time where well, it just wasn't coming I, through? I, I, yeah, there, you know, there was a couple of times where I had dry spells. It didn't last for very mm. long. But, but I've had a couple of times where I, I just didn't sense anything from people. And I'd go out and be walking down the street and didn't have the, 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 the senses. It was like having earmuffs on. It was, it was really astonishing. Interesting. And then, and then, and then it, it all came back. when you do readings for people um do you just connect to spirit and read that way or do you use tarot cards or some sort of divination tools specifically use a media um uh victoria i just simply tune in and speak okay um i'm not really a channeler i don't necessarily speak to spirits it's a one-on-one 
connection between myself and and my client okay. and my readings tend to be more like a monologue rather than a dialogue and and in fact i request people not to speak when when i'm doing the reading and i have a i, I start off with um i i start off with, with the, you know i i um, say the date, my name, and, and the person's name, and then I just start talking, and I just start talking about their life. And some of the things that I'm doing in my readings now, and I don't know too many people that are doing that, if I'm with someone who's in a crisis, which is pretty much every day, what I do is is I look at their life right now, and then I move forward in time to when they're about 80 years old, and I look back on their life today, and I describe to them what they're, how they feel about their experience that they're going through right now. And one of the things that it does for people is that it automatically tells them, I survived this. Right. Right? So I, <laughs> that's right. I survived this. And, and that is so really important for people to know, I'm going to get through it. So that's one of the techniques I use. And then I describe the era that they're in, and then I describe the next one that they're coming in, again, from the position of what they're like, when how they see their life at 80. And then I come back to today and talk about how, they're, how things are going. And, and like I said, it's primarily monologue, though. And I just go with, with where, where, I'm, where I'm led. Interesting. We're getting a, a number of questions here from the chat. I appreciate uh, Quarantine Ghost forwarding me those questions. So I do want to get to a couple of these from our viewers. Uh, Jorge Contreras asks, uh, we are all born with intuition, but how can we fine tune it? Practice. Practice, 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 practice. And, and fine tuning. So I, I haven't taught this class in a while um, or a few years. I, I used to teach a, a one-day seminar workshop where I would guarantee everybody in the workshop, if, if you do what I show you, will do psychic readings that day or I give you back your money. And and I've had as largest group was around 300 and the smallest was 10. And, and everywhere in between. And in every class, except for one class, there were two people who requested their money back. No one wow. ever did. And within about two hours, people were sitting across a stranger and being able to do psychic readings. Oh, wow. And, and, and if they couldn't, I, I, as I said, I give them back the money. Mm -hmm. And it simply is, being psychic is, or being intuitive, is a natural ability that all mammals have. Actually, most living beings have an awareness or a type of intuition. So we already have an intuition and instincts and feelings. What I tell people, what I share with people is I say, become aware of what's obvious. Look at the person in front of you. Just look at them with all of your senses. Because you know, you talk about the sixth sense. Well, the sixth sense is when we take our five senses, put them all together, and then we get the sixth sense. 
So when we look at somebody and become aware of what's obvious, then more becomes obvious about them. And as more becomes obvious, it just keeps going broader and broader and broader until eventually you're seeing and talking about things that seem obvious to you, but they're not obvious to anyone else. So become aware of what's obvious and go from that spot. Oh. And, and also be prepared to make mistakes. Yeah, it, nobody's perfect in this. And uh, I expect as you're learning and growing that you are going to make some mistakes. So, um, Betty Lange, It's really important to make mistakes. And it's really important to fall on your face because when you make mistakes or when you're wrong, when, you, when you're just right off, there's a different feeling to it than when you're right. And the only way you can know that is to fall on your face a few times or a few hundred or <laughs> and and what and and in order to be really good what you also have to be prepared to do is take a risk and right and, and well that's kind of with most things right you need to take a risk and actually put yourself out there that's right and to take a risk that you could be wrong yeah if you were connecting with someone and let's say you see danger or an impending death do you tell them, hey, I got some bad news, or would you say something like, you know, maybe Tuesday you should take a bus. Don't, don't drive that uh, car. <laughs> uh, depending on the situation, mm -hmm. and, and each situation is different. If I'm going to give somebody bad news, I usually give them good news or something positive that happens after it before I tell them the bad news. Okay. Okay. So once again, instead of frightening them, what, what I first of all do is let them know that they'll make it through. Then I'll tell them what they're going to make it through. Okay. So you just and give then, them hope. <laughs> and, well, yes. And then it also depends on um, the individual. It depends on what's going on. It, it depends on how they want to handle it. It, it. it really has a lot to do with that. Uh, although... It's my moral duty, it's my moral obligation to tell somebody if something bad or negative is going to happen. And the reason for that is because if it can be seen, it can be changed. Right. So my obligation is to tell the truth and the person can decide if they want to have that experience or not. So foreknowledge is to be forearmed? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's so many times in my in my life where, where I've, I've done things just like that, warn people straight up. And when I do, and, and, and with my, my regular clients, I, I can be very direct and, and very straightforward and don't pull punches. But these would be people that I would know mm -hmm. well. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, Betty Lange was wondering, who was your biggest mentor helping you grow? Wow. It was Kreskin, wasn't it? No. <laughs> no, no. Kreskin was, wasn't, wasn't my idol. Okay. Uh, there, there were a lot at, at, at different points in my life. Um, 
a, a friend of mine, he, he, he died a few years ago. His, his name is uh, Michael Blake Reed. Michael was a chan channeler as close to um, Edgar Casey as someone could get. And he had a group of entities that spoke through him. They were called the Evergreens and they were remarkably influential in my growth. Okay. Um, also, I was involved in an organization, several organizations in Toronto. One was called um, the New Age Center, where, where a group of us got together, uh, talented people. We got together and performed and did psychic things in the, in the Institute, and people would come and we'd teach them and, and that. Um, I also was involved with the Toronto Society for Psychical Research when, oh, when sure. I was in my late teens. Mm -hmm. And it was run by um, uh, Dr. George Owen. He was um, a retired professor from Oxford University. And, and he and his wife were um, running the Institute in Toronto. And I participated in psychic experiments. I used to get into, I got into arguments with some of the um, <laughs> academics and, and when they were, they were with, with some of the tests they were putting me through and the things that they said. What kind of tests were they putting you through? Funny you should mention that. Um, <laughs> one of the tests that comes to my mind, one of the experiences, um, so you got to remember now, this is in late 1950, sorry, 60s and mm. early 70s. And the experiment this particular night, it, there, there was a doctor who was um, a, a, um, not a gynecologist, a pediatrician. Okay. And obstetrician, obstetrician. And he brought some blood samples on um, on a blotter on blotters, and what I had to do using psychometry, uh, hold the the blood spot in my hand, and and I would read what was going on with that person, and and they would take notes, and 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 there were six or eight blood spots that I read, and it seemed like I was pretty accurate, and. Um, and, and the doctor thought I was really accurate. And then the people that were watching and observing the experiment got into a debate and an argument. And the argument was, was Robert really being psychic or was he being telepathic? Oh, wow. And this one guy said, yeah, he's only being telepathic. And I took a blood spot and I walked over to the guy and said, let me see you be only telepathic. <laughs> <laughs> His face just turned red. Wow. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's pretty humorous. So um, we've kind of talked a little bit about how, you know, things have evolved over time from, you know, the way uh, society viewed psychics back in the 50s to how it is these days. But how have you as an individual, as as a psychic yourself, how have you evolved over the years? Um, well, I'm constantly evolving. Um, at, at, again, at a young age, I realized that my life was going to be one of giving service. And even as a child, um, at five or six or, or seven years old, I was giving service to, to, to people or to kids. Um, when, when I was a 
kid in, in, well, I only completed grade eight and I, um, so I, I didn't learn to read and write until I was in my late teens. Um, I have some other perceptual issues, but not, that doesn't, which probably is how I develop my psychic awareness. Um, I would often see a teacher unhappy and I'd go over to them and in a, you know, my 12 year old state, I'd be able to tell them what I thought was going on or what would happen. And inevitably the teacher would come back and ask me more questions a couple of days later. So I knew that what I was doing, I had, that was my calling to, you know, to, to be a, of service. And as, as it is, it's been then a life commitment. So I've spent my life doing therapy on me personally. I've, I've stretched and pushed my abilities as, as far as I think I can push them. I've had such a broad uh, uh, spectrum of things that I've done from finding people to working in the security service at the, for the RCMP, um, finding dead letter boxes in Niagara Falls, and once wow. even meet once even meeting um, um, a, a KGB agent. Well, well we don't oh, know wow. that. He, we don't know that that he was that. Well, that I didn't. They they wouldn't tell me that. What what they did tell me was he he was an um, a, a journalist with Task News Agency. He spent most of his career in Washington and he had diplomatic passports. He also got transferred to Canada, which, which although I think Canada's, you know, America's a great country, my home is my best favorite for me. Um, uh, going from Washington, being posted in Washington and going to be Ottawa is like a big uh, demotion. And they thought, the, the Mounties thought that this guy was in trouble back home and they thought that maybe he would be ready to um, uh, um, uh, um, uh, defend. Oh, interesting. Here's how this happened though. It was, I was um, auditioning for a radio, sh a radio show in Ottawa. Um, I can't remember the name now. And and I flew to Ottawa to do uh, that that morning talk show. And when I went back to Toronto, I got a call from the the news director from uh, the radio station saying that this man um, and he was associated with the the Russian embassy wanted to talk to me. And and I said I don't want to know. I I don't want to know anything. I don't give him my name. Please don't. And then a couple of days later, some of my friends, you know, I started hearing from friends saying, I got a call from somebody from the RCMP asking about you. And I got about five or six calls from my friends. And then one day the phone call came in and again, this was in the seventies. So I can talk about this. This has all been done. Um, and, and the uh, guy introduced himself. He was, he was a sergeant. And, and he was involved in the non-criminal depart, uh, department of the RCMP, and they wanted to discuss with me a non-criminal matter. Hmm. And, and they said that um, we need you to we, we need you to help your country. And I said, okay, let's see what we can do. And, and him and a guy, uh, another guy came in and, and, and to my office and we talked for a couple of hours. 
and I did some psychic demonstrations for them. And then they said, we want you to allow Moranoff um, to talk to you. And he said, we'll talk to you. And, and um, I actually had contact with, with, with this guy. And, and, I, and um, I did a reading for him. They wanted me to tell him something in the reading. And, and they told me to tell him that he was safe here. And if he wanted to live here, he could. Oh, very and, interesting. And, well, listen, then what, I, so then what happened is, is as I was getting close to the end of the reading, I said that to the guy. And he just stood up and walked out of the room, just walked away. And, and I never saw the guy again. So he didn't move there. <laughs> he didn't move there. Well, I I never saw him again, and and seven or eight months later, the guys that I was working, you know, that I was working with with the RCMP, which stands for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, by the way, hmm. um, and and um, he told me that remember your Russian friend, um, it worked out the way we wanted it to, and that's all I ever knew about it. Oh, cool. <laughs> so that, that's all I ever knew, that it worked out well. And, and then every month for a couple of years, I went down to Niagara Falls because in those days, that was where the greatest amount of intelligence was being uh, crossing the border between um, uh, Canada and the United States. It was, it was the, great, the most amount of intelligence in the world was passing across the two borders. Wow. And, and what I did every month, um, I went down to Niagara Falls to the, um, um, the, the RCMP uh, um, division, and we looked at maps of the area, and then I picked different spots, and then we went out to those spots, and then I found where I thought the intelligence was being dropped off. So it was called the dead letter box. Now, Interesting. <laughs> the different, yeah, and the difference we're we're not quite that we have don't, we're a little different now, but but the difference between the U.S. and Canada in those days is that um, we didn't have spies in other nations. Now I'm not saying you do, but but we we were <laughs> all our stuff was was um, um, covert. So we were interested. We were interested in who was doing what and where, but just to watch and not interfere okay so where where and but but the information also would have gone to um you, you know you guys right uh, right yeah, yeah. and, oh. and you handled that yeah, that's, that's extremely interesting. Uh, we're a little bit halfway through the show, so I do need to mention here that uh, for those of you listening to the podcast version of this uh, later on KGRA Radio, really appreciate you listening out on KGRA Radio. Uh, also, there's a link to Robert's book down in the description below. I know Quarantine Ghost is also tossed into the chat uh, for uh, Robert's website, rlmreadsyou.com. So, Please uh, check out his website after the show. And, and uh, I'm getting that re. Oh, I'll shut up. I'm sorry. I'm, no, go ahead. <laughs> and, and that's also in the process of being redesigned right okay. now. By the way. So. Okay. Very good. Very good. Um, yeah, and and that's where I, I read your origin story with the with the hockey and the tea room mm -hmm. and all that, which was really interesting. Uh, now, there's also a. Uh, book you're associated with that uh, you were mentioned in several times, uh, The Perfect Predator. Uh, by Seth. Times. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what 
what is this book? What is it about? And why were you being mentioned in this book so many times? Well, um, because I played the part, I played a role in helping find um, and, and, and keeping uh, Tom, the uh, scientist's husband, alive while he was in a coma. Um, Stephanie uh, Strat D is, is a, has been a client of mine for like 30 plus years. And, and when I met her, she had just completed her, her PhD in epidemiology. Um, her husband Tom also is 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 a professor of of um, uh, psychology um, at a Southern California university, as um, Stephanie is. Tom and and I had done a reading for Tom about a year before, and I warned him about a pretty serious illness. And I, I told him that Tom had bloomed up to a big size, like over three hundred pounds. And and I and I said to him, by such and such a year age, you're going to be more than a hundred pounds lighter. And then I said, there's something going on in your stomach that's really serious, and you will be as close to death as you can be and not die. Oh wow! And then I said, losing weight, the three hundred or the hundred plus pounds. Um, is after being sick, but that's your destiny to lose more than a hundred pounds. So it seems that you can listen to me and I scare the hell out of you and you lose a hundred pounds and avoid the illness or go through the illness and lose a hundred pounds. And then I said to him, Tom, it's up to you. You can do it the easy way or you can do it. <laughs> So Tom and Stephanie were away on a vacation in Egypt and Tom got sick and he contracted the superbug and it was 100% um, antibiotic resistant. Wow. And that meant you get it, you die. Tom was in a coma. I had a psychic mental link with him and I knew what his state of mind, his emotional self was like the whole time that he was in a coma and there were stephanie decided that that she was going to find a cure for this for this um superbug and i also helped her find the the cure but it wasn't just me there was a group of the greatest minds on the planet that that came together to find the cure before Tom died, he he was in a coma for several months, and I and I had a mental link with him. I knew when his vital signs were 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 altering. I knew when they were up. I knew where they were down. I wasn't able to give medical information because I don't have that knowledge, but I described things in his body. And later on, the doctors, they didn't talk to me, I talked to Stephanie, mm-hmm. and, and the doctors would um, then describe the same thing using um, medical terms, except I was about three days ahead of them. Oh, wow. and, and there were a couple of different times. I, I knew that Tom was going to live because I sensed his energy much like a candle in a candle light. And when he got weak, the candlelight flickered. 
And that was when I knew he was getting mm -hmm. close to dying or letting go. And when he wasn't, the candle light was, the candle flame was strong. There was one point where he had been in ice in 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 quarantine, has all this people, all the people came around him in hazmat suits. He was in a coma, but there was an awareness, and um, he knew something was going on. And I saw the, the the flame flickering, and he was cold, and I felt him letting go. And at the same time, and by the way, I had meetings with Stephanie every day. And and um, at the, at one point, um, Stephanie said, "Do you think his girl should come over and visit?" Mm -hmm. and, and and I said, again, this is when I get brutally um, honest. I said to Stephanie, "Yesterday would have been a good day for them to be here. Today wow. it's okay. Tomorrow's all right. If you wait longer than tomorrow, don't bother." Mm. They were there that night, and that night, the next morning, Tom's vital signs came back up, and 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 the flame came in. Now, any good psychic would have seen it. So it isn't that I'm the great genius. It, it it's a skill that a, a really good practitioner could do. Um, we intuitive we psychics if i wasn't able to see that tom would have died and or any somebody that because there's there's hundreds or thousands of people that could have been doing exactly what i did not the same way but with the same effect okay and we got recognition for tom living because this psychic could sense what he needed and he got. If I wasn't tuned in, he wouldn't have got it and he wouldn't have lived. That happened on several different times. And, and um, unfortunately, that a lot of that didn't get put in the book. It would have helped us so much and it would have helped uh, humanity that that we can do this work and when somebody's unconscious in a coma we can sense where they're at and take care of them when they're unconscious when you connect to someone like that can you always connect to them or was tom just a, uh, a one-off um, funny you should mention that <laughs> i'm i'm currently working with a woman right now her name is antonetta and Antonetta is one of the most beautiful beings I've ever met. And Antonetta has um, fourth degree cancer. Oh. Um, I have a mental, I, I think that like with Tom, I, I think that Antonetta is, is going to get through this. I have a mental link with her. Um, I'm in contact with her 24 seven. I know when she's having upset stomach i know when she's in pain i know when she's okay i know what's happening with her emotionally we talk every day a little while ago she had a uh, now i'm allowed to do this because i got her permission to talk about it okay so just want to say that um and by the way all you folks out there that are listening would you please think of antonetta and send her energy and Absolutely. 
please send it to her. Um, and she will take, she'll just fuck it up because she needs it. So um, there was one time she had a bowel obstruction and ended up in the hospital during the shutdown. So she was locked in a room all along. Everybody was in hazmat suits and she was in terrible pain. Nobody, uh, her family couldn't be around her. And I had a, um, a mental link with her. We communicated by text when she would have panic attacks because we had practiced um, how to come through panic attacks. We had practiced it before while she was in the hospital. I was able to talk her down on texting and then also um, connecting on, on FaceTime. And, and it got her through that week and the obstruction. So this is a, a, a direction that my, my work is going in, but I'm still just like a plain ordinary everyday kind of psychic. Well, you're very down to earth, which, <laughs> which we certainly appreciate. And this has been a fantastic discussion. Um, have a comment here from Dusty Reeves down in the chat. He says, I've been reading for her the other day. <laughs> <laughs> she says, I've been seeing Robert as a psychic and on occasion as an intuitive counselor for the past 16 years. And his readings and insights were often prescient and very helpful. So, um, let me ask you this, uh, because she mentions as a psychic and on occasion as a intuitive counselor. So what's the difference between the two and what do you do as an intuitive counselor? My thing in life is behavior, um, inner growth. It could be spirituality, but I, you know, somebody asked me, am I spiritual? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm not. Um, I really don't know what being spiritual is. Um, Maybe I am. I, 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 so my interest is 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 human behavior, because I come from a seriously abused background. Um, I understand what it's like to be abused. I understand what it's like to be uh, hurt. Um, in my work, using my intuitions, my psychic ability, as well as my knowledge. Remember, I said I've been in therapy all my all my life you know right i've been in therapy as long as i've been a psychic no sorry as long as <laughs> it's like working as a psychic and and so i have a, a um a real instinct that that is my love so people come to me with issues people come to me in, with, with problems and they're in their crises and i teach them how to get out of it and and i use my um into intuition my psychic ability um I just understand the process and okay. and I do one-on-one -on -one counseling and we do about five years of traditional therapy in about three months oh wow like this That's really impressive. Fast. yeah it's like like my stuff is like really fast and one of the things is we we get to the very root of get to the very first time the problem occurred very first time they got hurt and heal that one. And when you get to the root and you kill the root, then then the rest of it dies. That makes a lot of sense. And, it gets and, to the heart of the matter to begin with, yeah. That's right. That's right. And then and then also I use my um, awareness and so most of my learning, most of my knowledge has been outside school. My the, the world has been my school. Um, so 
so my, my experience is, 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 is what I've learned um, outside and, and, and it's different. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. That's what happens. With <laughs> You're fine. You get these great ideas and you get lost. Um, it'll it'll and, come back. Yeah, it'll it'll come back. <laughs> I have a friend who's an intuitive um, counselor, and yeah. we went through it. Um, I guess it was last summer, um, six or seven weeks. Went through my whole life. At the end of every session, I was in tears. I'm like, I hate you. I hate you. Why are we doing this? You know. And then the next week, right. it was great. <laughs> right. But it helps so much. Yes. So, um, and, and one of the things, thank you, you got me back on track, Victoria. So, okay. <laughs> so um, I'm the type of person, though, is that if you show me a concept, I grasp it, analyze it, and put it to work the next day. So, so I, I'm really good at learning that type of stuff. Um, and I can help people get to where the injuries or the issues are. I also teach people how to handle being in post-traumatic stress episodes. I teach people how to identify what it's like when you're building up to it. Um, I help them get in touch with what their body tells them and all by being intuitive, by, by sensing their energy mm -hmm. and being smart. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to get some more of these questions. We had a lot of them come in from the chat. We're not going to be able to get to all of them, but I do want to get to a couple more here uh, before we finish up the show. So uh, Spooky Dawn was wondering, uh, have you ever explored other avenues like automatic writing or remote viewing? Thank you. Um, what's, what's the guy's name, Don? Uh, Don, yeah. Yeah, Don, thank you. Um, not remote, well, okay, not remote viewing the way um, it, it's done. H however, when I do open line shows, and I just did one a few weeks ago after it had been about eight years since um, I had done them, and when I did those shows, I used to do things like, um, and this is when the phones were attached to the wall, right? I say, okay, <laughs> you're, you're in your living room now, is that correct? Yes. You're holding the phone with your left hand, is that right? All right, turn your head a little bit to, to the right. Look, is that where the wall got cracked last week? Yes, that's right. And and, and I used to do stuff like that. And um, I started doing that on, on, on the show, phone in show I did um, last month. And and I would look at a place, describe it, and, and or, you know, you're at the table, would you move your hand over to the left? And, is that where it got burned? And, you know, I, I would do stuff like that. Is that remote viewing? Well, I guess. Um, but I just did it. I just pushed it. Um, <laughs> and we'll walk together. Well, I just did uh, it. Like, an automatic, automatic writing. writing. Yeah. Um, well, mm -hmm. first of all, I needed to learn how to write. But, but <laughs> what I used to do when people would call, I, I'm not joking, actually. I, I, had, I had to. I, did, I, I learned like about 18, 19 years old. Um, what, what I would do is, um, and, and the format I use when I'm, I'm taking calls, the person calls up, gives me their first name, tells me where they're calling from, they think of a question but don't ask it. So um, the person would come on and they'd say, my name is Mary, and I'd start writing down Mary, and I'm calling from um, Southeast Calgary, and I'd write Southeast, and I'm uh, Mary, what happened to your ear? 
And and so I'd start hmm. writing, writing things down, and then I'd get a um, a thought or, or or a feeling or is oh, oh by the way is your car yellow because it looks like you know you got a flat tire, um, you know and that and and I'd start off doing it that way. I didn't actually believe in spirits or um, even God until later in my life as well. Oh, interesting. Uh, from Alina. She's wondering, as an intuitive, what is your take on the events taking place around us today? Are we possibly in danger? Um, is, is she talking about danger around us, like in the United States, in Canada? Um, are we in danger of getting blown up? What, what is it that she's asking in danger? I, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I mean, my take on the question is with the current events like uh, COVID, Worldwide. the civil unrest. Yeah. Okay. America is a great country. And America is the leader of the world. America is going through a transition when it goes through the transition it will be it will continue to be great but it'll be a better kind of great so yes it looks pretty terrible but america is going to be okay mm -hmm. and america will be very strong again you think it's more like growing pains that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Took it right out of your head. It's also, it's also, it's also solving problems that didn't get solved that needed to get solved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, in terms of the virus, the pandemic, that's pretty scary. Um, uh, and it is going to be around for a while. Is there a second really, wave coming? Oh, yes. And and there will be there will be a vaccine, um, and it will, for the most part, be safe. Um, America will be fine. America Good. will be back again, and, and and it's going to take a pretty long time to make back the money that yeah. has been lost. But that'll happen too. So can you say America's kind of in our terrible two stage right now? And we're just going <laughs> to, we're going to get better soon. It'll take a few years. Okay. Um, the, the big thing through all this, I, I got to be careful. I can get into trouble. Uh, and, and like, <laughs> totally um, understand. In a year, in, in about five years from now, um, America will actually have a national health care system hmm. that Everybody has. Everybody gets. It's about five. It'll be from the next administration. Okay. I wrote that one down, so I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna check gonna back in five years. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the next, what about like a the next president's you know um, uh, initial doesn't seem to start with a T. Okay. <laughs> I really We've noted that. that. Yeah, that's okay. So I, so I just, yeah, I, I well, for a lot of reasons, and, and, and one of them is um, I, I'm a Canadian. I have no right to, to profess yeah. 
American politics or whatever. It's not my position. I'm just a psychic. Right, <laughs> right. So Joy H. asks, uh, having started as a kid and having so many years under your belt, what is your favorite psychic experience? Wow. Um, you have a lot to draw from. <laughs> I know. Um, okay. I I had a contract with South Africa Broadcasting. Oh. And I went on and I had a three year contract and I went to South Africa every year for three years and did a tour of the country and did all wow. the. Yeah. Um, the first time I went was just after apartheid ended. And I went there early um, to get used to the country. Um, and I, I stayed with a friend who owns a gas station. And um, at first, I started work I, to get used to the country. I started working at pumping gas at the gas station. And um, all the workers at the gas station were, 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 were black. Um, and they, they were Zulu, by the way. And um, my friend told them that I was a Muti. Well, in the Zulu language, Muti is witch doctor, is actually oh. evil witch doctor. Oh. And that was white, <laughs> and, and a Muti sort of made me like uh, super Muti. And, and, and Mutis are, are so powerful that even if you kill them, they'll come back from the afterlife and get you. And, and, and these people were very superstitious. They were really afraid of me. Um, they didn't want me to pump gas with them, but they were too afraid to say no. Mm. And at that time in South Africa, black and colored, and you were allowed to say colored because that was a race in South Africa. Okay. Um, I dressed white people as, um, Mr., uh, as boss. That's the mm. way we call me. Um, a a colored person, an Indian, would would call me Mr. Robert, and a white person would call me Robert. Interesting. And when when I was there at the gas station, um, I and, and I was working for free, um, and I got into pumping gas. It was really a lot of fun, and it was really a lot of fun pumping gas for you know for um, somebody that had a, a, a black person that, that was third class in, in their own country to be served by a white man. It was, it was really an honor mm. to do. Um, I was appearing on a radio show um, in Durban, and this is where the gas station was, and I decided that I would do something fun, and I asked my friend, and I said, you know, Clive, how about if um, we do a promotion and that anybody that comes down to, it was Quality Street Motors, that buys, 50 rand worth of gas for another 50 rand i'll do a reading for them and all money is will be donated to charity and um, that was really cool so um the next morning after the show when we got to the gas station there were cars were down the street around the corner around the block it was like that people were lined up i also told the people at the gas station the guys that i was pumping gas with i said if you want to come in and get a reading you don't have to pay just just come in so um, this guy drives in, driving a brand new Rolls Royce. And in South Africa at the time, there was a 100% duty placed on new cars coming into the country. And at the time, there was 12 rand to the British pound. And this guy drives in with a brand new um, Rolls Royce. Wow. He comes in for his reading, 
there was questions. And he asked me three questions. And I gave him the answer. Then there was this guy, Joe, that worked at the gas station. Um, he he uh, worked beside me pumping gas. And he came in. And Joe was, you know, these guys were, you know, um, half a generation from living in grass tents. They were really primitive but beautiful people. Hmm. And, and, and Joe came in and asked, his three questions. I was stunned. The three questions that the rich white guy asked were the exact same three questions that Joe asked. Now the oh, white wow. guy was, was much more um, um, more well spoken than than Joe. But here were the three questions. Okay, the rich guy was worried about. Um, um, there was the union. Uh, he was worried whether the union was going to go on strike. And Joe was worried about whether he had a secure job. The rich guy, his daughter was getting married and he wanted to know how the reception was going to turn out. And Joe wanted to know if the guy that's the father of his daughter's baby was going to marry her. The oh, rich wow. guy had an ulcer, and Joe had an evil spirit in his stomach. Wow. <laughs> and that blew me away. Because what that showed me is that it doesn't matter, like, whether you're rich or poor. You know, we're, we're all pretty much the same. We're all thinking about the same thing, our job, our family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We all have the same problems and issues. Absolutely. It was, it was profound. Anyway, um, by the end of my trip, and it was my goal, um, all the black guys called me Robert. And, <laughs> and um, it was, it was, it, it, it took a lot for that to happen. It was, that was, that was a privilege. Yeah, that's amazing. So that might be my favorite psychic story. That's definitely an amazing story. But uh, we are at our hour mark. Robert, we really appreciate you coming onto the show. Um, where can people find you so they can, you know, schedule a... Yeah, uh, well, yeah. On, my, on my website, um, um, rlmreachu.com, and uh, give me a call or, or, or send me an email, and uh, we, can, we can connect. Yeah, fantastic. And we did have a uh, question earlier in the chat from Guiding Echoes. That's uh, Nicole Guillaume. Uh, do you have a YouTube channel at all? Do I have a what? A YouTube channel at all? Is there some other place that people might be able to find your work? Not yet, but really soon. Like like I said, I just realized there's an internet for psychics out there. Mm -hmm. I've been I've been living uh, my whole life on um, my my career that I built and people coming to me. I haven't, you know, the old adage. Um, uh, the greatest barrier to personal growth is an uninterrupted success. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't have to do anything. Right. I did it in a, before. Now I'm seeing how different the world is. Like, wow. You can mm -hmm. connect with so many more people through the Internet. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Do many more shows and not have to go to the stations anymore. <laughs> there you go. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back. Really do appreciate you coming out, Robert. And uh, definitely everybody Thank check you. out his website. So. Thank you very much. Absolutely. You have a great evening. Thank you. It's nice to meet you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.